should have, no matter how informed we are, you should have an offer letter. It spells out the compensation. It says you're an at-will employer. So they want to be an at-will employer. And then you should have a document like how I'm going to document raises or change in pay, commission structures. So being committed, no matter how small you are, to have the process, it doesn't take long to write it down and follow it. We'll save you a lot of grief later. These things only matter when there's a problem. You're listening to the Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 16-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law and leadership topics, company leaders like CEOs, managers, and HR professionals would often ask me where can they find a little more information on this and a little more information on that. Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there. But sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people only have 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to company leaders. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Today, my guest is a fellow entrepreneur and business leader, Don Peterson of the Peterson CPA firm. Don has built and grown a CPA firm where he uses financial and tax strategies to help hundreds of businesses design a profitable business while also creating a culture with integrity that allows their personal lives to thrive. Since my topic is payroll mistakes to avoid, I wanted to chat with Don about payroll and employees. These issues surrounding payroll come up quite often for business leaders, both from the tax and legal perspective. I really enjoyed my chat with him, especially his insight on the top mistakes he sees from his own CPA practice. So I hope you enjoy this Legal Skinny episode, Payroll Mistakes to Avoid. Welcome to the Legal Skinny Podcast, Don. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Trish. Oh, I'm excited to have you. And before we get into the meat of payroll, which is why I begged you to come on here and chat with me about this, I want to talk a little about your background. So so why tax? Because, you know, when you ask kids like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I usually don't hear, at least from my five-year-old twin girls, um, that they want to get into tax. So <laughs> how did you get into tax? And, and um Tell me all about that. All right. Well, I'll, I'll start way back when, um, you know, getting out of college. And it actually wasn't tax. It was one of the things I wanted to do was help people create financial freedom. And I had always defined financial freedom, the ability to make choices without being hindered by finances, whether you're rich or poor. Um, so I was interested in the finance matters. Can you be free in your mind from finances? And then tax is an interesting thing because I'm, creative guy. There's a lot of creative things you can do with tax that are legal. And there's a lot of creative things you can do with people as they make choices in their life. So it was really more about 
having people have choice about their finances and taxes was a great ticket in to be able to talk to people. So that's why I chose tax way back then. Um, and very shortly in my career, about four years in, I actually went to work for a management consulting firm and left the tax world for about 30 years. And well, one of the guys I was working with was getting a little older. He was getting in the 70s. And I could say, hey, maybe it's time to do something else. So just as a matter of a lark, I was driving home from Michigan to see my mom, which I did every year, uh, my son. And I just asked him, hey, you want to start a CPA firm? He said, sure. He said, okay. So I got home, Google CPA firms for sale. And lo and behold, there was one for sale 20 miles from my house. Two weeks later, I owned it. And here we are. Six years later, with a very successful CPA firm here in Pennsylvania. Okay, so I didn't know you started off with buying buying a practice, so that's interesting. Yes, I was able to buy over the first three years. I bought four firms. Oh, okay. So, so that would be allowed me to build the practice and allow you know now I have like thirteen employees and we have actually a real business here, not just a guy and a guy and his son doing that. <laughs> You do have a real business here. I'll give you that. So, um, so, okay. So that's interesting. Cause it's definitely taking the entrepreneurial route. Like, uh, you know, you, you didn't initially pick tax, but it sounds to me like there's a more of like helping people out kind of thing behind all of this. Yeah. It's just enjoying the conversation with people as they sort out the decisions they have in life. Cause finances affect so many things and everything, whether you're meeting with some kid or you're meeting with a couple meeting with retired people and here are friends when we deal with a lot of people who are getting close to retirement or retired and it doesn't matter how much money you are there's all this anxiety what's the government going to take from me is there going to be any left for me should i give it all to my kids should i keep it and those are all discussions that get down to it to sort out what people's values are the decisions get pretty clear i like that yeah i think you know, uh, and it's interesting you say creative because, you know, I, I think there actually is a lot of creativity in tax, but I don't know if everybody else would think so initially. I think there's a lot of creativity in practicing law because I, um, while there's laws, you know, there's creative ways to to use them. I think you and I are both on the same page with that. Yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. So we have like 3,000 clients. I got 13 employees, like I said. My two sons work with me and my wife um, and my sister-in-law. So we, we have some family here. And we have some friends and we have some new people you brought up. Tell me about that working with family. Uh, how did you, how, who was, who was the first family member that you brought in and, and how'd you make that decision? The first one was Joe and he was the one that was in the car with me. And then when I started it, my wife is not an accountant. She's a teacher. She homeschooled five of my kids um, and she's an extrovert. So she became my marketing person. So one way to market our little business is go to chamber of commerce meetings and business expos. Friendswood has a great chamber of commerce meeting. So she proceeded to do all our marketing and she's better known around town than I am. Uh, so people go, oh, you're Tracy's husband. <laughs> so that worked really well. And so it was going really well. After the first year, then I went to my other son who was an engineer. Say, hey, you want to join us? And he said, sure. So he what is an engineering job? Went back to school, got 10 classes of accounting, and he joined us. And uh, so it's gone really well. And my sister-in-law was an administrator. She does all our payroll, which I talked to her today before this call, and she does a great job. So it's been going really well with family. We haven't had a problem with that at all. And we all know each other. And then there were some friends. I used to coach basketball, and when I started my CPA firm, I told all my basketball friends, hey, I'm starting a CPA firm and I need some 
CPAs. It turned out there was two mothers that were uh, and you know, a little older, their kids were in college. They had been CPAs, but when their kids were born, they homeschooled, they retired. And they wanted to come out of retirement now. So I was able to hire two people I've been working with for 15 years as the basketball organization. Um, just you know, help start the practice. So we've had a lot of good fortune in how we staff our organization. Yeah, it sounds like in building your team, and I, I like how you just said the engineering son, you want to come do this? And he was like, sure. <laughs> and we're talking about Robert, right? Yeah, you're talking about Robert. Robert was an engineer. Yeah, and Robert yeah. was an early guest on my podcast. I don't remember exactly which number it is right now, but um, yeah. He, yeah, was, he actually is the one who encouraged us to do this. He likes this kind of stuff, so. And I so, play a lot. <laughs> you do. I'm glad you. I'm glad you played along and came today. So, okay. So, you, you got, great story on how you started the company. I love that part of your team is your family, and that you guys have worked that out. Uh, obviously, working with families, you know, interesting because there's the personal side, all the people that don't work in the business that are part of the family, and then the people that do. So, I don't know if you how you manage the shop talk when you guys aren't actually in working in the business. You know, like on the holidays and stuff. We don't talk shop at all. Ah, is that the is that is there a rule there? Did you make that rule? No, we just don't. It's just I probably made the rule by example. Uh, but if there's any other family members in the room, we don't don't talk about shop. Camille asked us how it's going, we said it's going fine, but we don't like to say, Oh, we got this problem to do, or we're really busy. We just don't we just don't do it. So Okay, so, I love that. Yeah, so that works for us. So tell me a little bit about like, um, just as a business leader, any challenges that you've found in leading your team or just as being an entrepreneur yourself and like how you overcame that? Well, I, I don't want it appeared as a challenge, but I will say on the hiring and adding people, um, I think it's important to be clear about your culture that you want and then be intentional about it and be clear about your weaknesses and strengths. So mine were since I've been, you know, I'm an older guy, I've been around a while. I had two hiring rules. Uh, the first rule was based on I'm a very lousy manager. I just don't follow up. I don't follow up on you. I don't check on you. Uh, I sort of like let you go and do. If you're floundering, you get the flounder. Um, so we made, a, we made a rule that we're not hiring anybody that needs to be managed. So we have a pile of work to do, a pile of tax returns or accounting. You put it in your drawer and you finish it. And if you need someone to check up on you or you need someone to encourage you to do it, you should work for somebody else. Um, because I don't do that. I always wanted to be able to do that, but I can't. So that works really well. And then we wanted a culture where it was, um, well, I wanted to come to work every day. So that we said there can't be any drama at the office. So everybody has to leave their drama at home. So no gossiping about each other, no gossiping about your family members, no gossiping about the neighbors. Biggest one, no gossiping about the clients, you know, because you have your good and bad clients, and it's always great to talk about your bad clients. And we just eliminated those discussions uh, because they drive me crazy. So those two hiring criteria actually allowed me to get great people. <laughs> Wait a minute, the first rule is I don't know about the hiring criteria. It's the the no manager. <laughs> We're not going to manage you. Think I mean, technically, there is a theory on that. I know you're saying it's not that you're managing; it's that you're you're giving you're more you're looking for independent people that don't need a micromanager. I mean, and you're not going to do it. Clearly, is what you're saying. Right. Yes, exactly. So people yeah. self motivated. That would be self self motivated. This is right. the job. You do the job. Uh, you know, 
if you need handholding, this isn't the job for you. Is that about it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we have like the lady who manages workflow and uh, someone else who checks on people. We have spreadsheets about when work should get done and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, someone walks in, they end up having about six bosses, depending on what they're working on. But no one's managing them. They're just doing this project, you work for this person, you do this with that person. Um, so there's just, there's no formal management structure in place. Uh, and that's worked out great for us. But it required to thrive in that environment. Yeah, I think my favorite thing you said on all, all of the, that discussion uh, is the being intentional about your culture and knowing what it is you want to create. Like if, if you, you know, it bleeds into everything that happens if you're not careful about um, being intentional about it and thoughtful about it. So I think that's a good thought, Don. Yep, thank you. So, okay, let's move into to, oh, why I dragged you on my podcast here today. Right. <laughs> like start off with the basics. All right, so if if someone has never hired an employee, all right, we're on payroll practices 101, or they're just, you know, onboarding employees and they want to freshen up their practice on, on how to do that right. What is the, the steps or processes that you think are great um, that they should be thinking about and, and how to start paying this employee and getting the payroll going? So I think the first step, and you like this first, is actually have a process. Oh, yeah, I do like that. I love a process, a procedure, culture. Right. I love all that. Yes, yes. So a lot of times a small company, maybe it was just the husband and wife running their company and then it grows and all of a sudden you've got to hire four or five people and they just start interviewing people and they hire them and maybe it is a family member and they don't have a process that's actually documented. Maybe a checklist. I mean, just the process to show what you got to do. Now, what should be on the checklist, yes, you should get a W-4 and make sure it's filled out completely. So we'll get W-4s for clients to do their payroll and won't have a social security number on it or the address. And so you should have a W-4, you should have a 99. You should have, no matter how informal we are, you should have an offer letter. It spells out the compensation. It says you're an at-will employer. Assuming they want to be an at-will employer. Um, so all those, every, and then you should have a document like how I'm going to document raises or change in pay or commission structures. So be committed, no matter how small you are, to have the process. It doesn't take long to write it down and then follow it. We'll save you a lot of grief later because these things only matter when there's a problem. Um, so you know, later is a big problem when you have some employee argue that they should have got more money than you paid them. Um, and if you don't have a process, then it's all, well, this is what I told them. They're lying. That's the house. Um, but for us on our payroll side, just the practicality of it, it's all written down and we get a piece of paper, then we get a better chance of getting that paper. Well, so we do have clients call and say, hey, I hired Joe this week. Great, thanks. What's Joe's social security? And we're writing it down. How many hours do you get? We're writing it down. What are you paying? We're writing it down. It could be wrong. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't tell Joe $15 an hour. I told him 20, I forgot. You sure what you told? No. Well, Joe says that's what I said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe would say that. <laughs> and I've done that self myself personally. I, you know, I had a deal with somebody and I get back to my office. And a week and a half later, somebody asked me what the deal was. And I'm like, well, I think it was this. First <laughs> uh, if I got a process and I got the new employee form that says, here's their name, social security number, their pay rate, how often they get paid. 
um, that saves a lot of time. So that's the first thing I'd have, make sure I have a process and just get the basic document, which is only those two or three. And then as you get along, you may have documents about health insurance and HSA plans and 401k plans. Um, so you can add those forms as you go along, but don't wing it. That would be my biggest advice. Just don't wing it. And then I'm just rambling, so you interrupt me when I shoot <laughs> um, No, yeah, I like your rambling. Keep going, Don. This is good. So I love, I love the process. I think that's, you know, I, I think that's great. I think, one, when you have to make a process, you have to be uh, somewhat thoughtful about, right, when you write yeah. it down. If you never write it down, it does get a little bit, especially if you're growing maybe at a, you know, a slower rate and where you're like, I want to bring on a, a person, a team member, and I want to bring this person on and, and you bring them on. And then the next person that you bring on is, you know, there's a period of time you've kind of forgot what you did with that person. So if you try to go, this is my intention of how I'm going to onboard someone. Uh, these are the, this is the paperwork they're going to fill out. You're not looking all over the place for, what happened to the the handbook acknowledgement and what happened with the um you know did i get the w4 and is it updated and you know it's sort of like and actually you're right like it kind of creates i think more anxiety around the hiring process because it's not been thought through written down there isn't and you can never ever pass on the hiring part to somebody else in the company if you don't have it written down that's a great point that's a great point sooner or later the company may roll the MU a little memory so that's a great point um, and then I would say you got to have someone do your payroll. You've got to admit it if you're not a financial person that you shouldn't be doing your own payroll. I mean, sometimes I have, and they're in a business, they understand how to pull up QuickBooks and do a payroll. They can do it all there, but there's a lot of people that just shouldn't be doing it um, just because the mistakes are costly. So the biggest mistake is, of course, payroll tax deposits. Um, people need to understand that's not something. It always gets paid first. It's not your money. Don't pay it. It's considered stolen, basically. Everybody that touched a check and signed on a check is liable for it. So you want to have a professional involved. You want to pay, have your payroll taxes paid on time, every time. Even if you can't pay the rent, you pay your payroll taxes. Pay your payroll taxes before you pay yourself. Payroll taxes get paid, period. If you can't afford to pay them, then let the people go. Uh, don't spin out of that. Those are the worst nightmares I have is when I have a client that this is going to be shut down by the IRS after it started getting healthy because things weren't handled at the beginning. Um, and they thought they could finance your business by not doing taxes. It's hard to believe anybody would do that, but they do. And I get paid to clean it up sometimes, but now you got to pay me again. Um, so that's the most important thing, paying your payroll taxes on time. Do you think that, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of with you that the liability there is so scary. And let's break it down for, for people that maybe not as familiar with this. You're talking about uh, the the taxes that you're withholding, right? Yes. I'm talking about when somebody gets paid $1,000, you took out $300 for federal withholding, you took out their Social Security, you got your employer's Social Security. So they added up to three or four hundred bucks. And you've got to pay that in within three days most of the time, or any size. If you don't pay it in, the penalties are steep. If you don't ever pay it in, all the shareholders are liable. And there's criminal potential penalties. I mean, criminal uh, issues as well. Yes, if the numbers get big enough, then they could say there's criminal. So 
Let's be and, real I think you made a good point. Don. That's not your money. So yes. don't, don't pay the rent with it. Don't do other things. And if you can't work that out, uh, then you really shouldn't have those employees. And, and that's certainly you don't get a job. <laughs> exactly. You're a businessman. You can't figure out that I'm paying people and I'm taking taxes and not paying it to the government. You just need to go to work or something. Sorry. Or you hire someone to do the payroll, right? Like we just talked about. Yeah, you can hire someone to do the payroll. I mean, if you're spending the money in the wrong place, you're taking somebody else's money and spending something else, uh, you're not ready to do the business. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. I think it's it's a um, once you go down that path, trying to fix it and go backwards um, is is tricky. So understanding that that money isn't yours is the first thing. I mean, um, of course, as an attorney, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how the function of your business works, but you know, we may hold money in trust. That's not my money, right? Like that's very clear on the guidelines around that. And it's very similar to that way that that money is something that you're taking and giving under the employee social security number to, uh, the federal government or in, depending on what state you're in, maybe state and uh, taxes as well. So, yeah. Okay. So what? Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say. So, is that that's a that's a big top mistake? Is there other top mistakes that um, employers make with payroll? Um, besides just the clerical errors, a lot of clerical errors. But again, when you don't have a system um, that happen, and it annoys employees when you pay them wrong. That's the biggest thing. Is it right? Um, then you have the things that just happen once in a while. That can be very expensive. For example, is one of your employees has trouble with the IRS, and you get a notice to put a lien on their wages and send their wages to the IRS. And then you get employers say, "Well, I don't want to do that. He really needs the money to pay his mortgage." And then you don't do that, and you're liable for it. So when you get a lien, you don't pay the employee. You give the money to the IRS. Maybe you can hold the money for a week. Employee's going to go get a letter from the IRS releasing the lien, but you have to take those liens very seriously. Once you've received it, you don't get to be nice, Mr. Nice Guy, and say, "Well, the IRS is wrong, and they're bad people." No, the IRS has a lien. Not wrong or right, they just have one, and therefore you should honor it. So I've seen employers get in trouble with that when they tried to help out the employee. The employee was dragging their feet and cleaning up the mess. Um, and then I stepped in and cleaned it up for them, and all worked out, but. Can be expensive, and the other one that can jump back at you is uh, child support payments. You know, you can get something from the state of Texas saying you need to send the money to us, not to an employee. You need to honor those agreements first time right away. Uh, you don't want the state or some ex-spouse contacting you about, no, money. You don't. <laughs> about money that literally you were instructed how to, how to pay it, and it's not your problem that the employee isn't able to sort that out for himself. So those are the two like outside world things that can affect you when you actually try to help people and it actually doesn't help. But inside, it's really clerical errors. You know, we'll have you know they'll call and give us the wrong hours. They don't have a system for keeping the hours, or they give us the wrong rate. Um, and then the other thing people do is some like I have a client that has you know, some of the people they pay weekly, some of the people they pay biweekly, some of the people they pay semi-monthly. And they're salesmen, they pay when the money comes in. So they have eight payrolls a month. 
and the deposits are different for each one. Um, if you're, if you're just going to have mistakes when you sit yourself. So I would encourage people to you know choose one, maybe two ways of paying people. And in that same vein, if you have sales commissions, a favorite thing for guys like me to do, you have sales commission, people who work on sales. This is back in my previous life. Is everybody you meet, you give them a special deal. So now you have 20 salespeople with 20 special commission deals, and no one in payroll ever gets it right. So again, have a process, have a commission. Um, you can't think of the word, so I lost the word. Um, agreement in your HR manual, this is how commissions are paid. Don't make special deals with people, it's not worth it. And then just follow the process. That helps with payroll, it helps later when things get confusing. And one salesman gets mad at another salesman, they come at you like something's not fair. Um, so just be consistent, again, having your policies in order. Yeah, I think that, uh there's multiple layers of issues, uh, you know, from my perspective, when you, when you make promises about pay, either when people are going to be paid, um, potential bonuses and commissions, how that's structured in many states, including the state of Texas, the, you know, they very clearly want under the Texas Payday Act for you to have some sort of in writing about the bonuses, if you're going to have a commission or bonus structure, that's outside of your discretionary, you know, maybe annual uh, uh, bonus where you're just giving it, hey, everybody's going to get this XYZ bonus based on how many years they were with the company or something like that. When you're actually paying people in it, because it can get really confusing when the employee leaves or the employee's fired. Yes. And, and guess who loses in that scenario? Not, not the employee, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have it written down. Yes. So, you know, the lawyer will always say, sorry, pay that. Yeah. It's not worth paying me to defend because you're going to lose. Again, it all just gets back to the very first thing called have some processes in place for every step of payroll and it'll save you a lot of money. And the same being another one that pops up, they're not usually a lot of dollars, but they're annoying dollars is employee advances. When you look, you, look, you loan uh, Sally 1500 bucks, but Sally can't you know, pay her car note, she's three months behind. Sally promises you can take $100 a month out of her payroll. So you start making $50 or $25 a week out of her payroll, and then all of a sudden she can't afford it, or someone in payroll forgets to turn it off and you're taking too much money from her. So it's just adding another level of complexity. We just encourage employers. Just don't do that stuff. Like don't give the loans? Her. Yeah, if you want to give Sally 1500 bucks, give her 1500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> don't. Let's do it. No. No. If Sally wants to pay you back, she will, but don't add all these complexities to your business where people actually think it's some kind of policy and now you got I have clients, they have 30 or 40 clients and there's like eight and four loans out and everybody's trying to keep track of it and they're pretty much always messed up somehow. Um, so I just like to eliminate that. And, and Chris is used to, you're used to be saying just, just take care of people, help work out. You don't need to set up this $20 a week payment. Someone's going to forget about it's not working. Yeah, I, that's not true. It's just my humble. It's yeah. I mean, you could you could do it's you know it's tricky. Like the deduction situation. First of all, if they're hourly employees, and you do you do uh, you know you start deducting anywhere near the minimum wage level, and you go below that, you're in trouble uh, potentially. So there's just a lot of like different pieces to that. 
Um, I don't personally, I, I, I do not like <laughs> when they loan them employees money. I think it's I'm like, oh, this is already going to be a mess because they usually have not, they don't do it right. And it doesn't, and it's, it's confusing. And there's a lot of feelings about that. I, I feel like the entrepreneur or the business leader is so like invested at that point. They've now invested loan. They feel like I, I really, you know, and then if the employee does anything that's not perfect or they frustrate the the, um, you know, the business owner, it's just, they kind of go, why I loaned that person money. I you know what I mean? I did all these things for them and they, they just feel so much more like, and I just feel like at some point you have to understand that these are, you know, if they're employees, they may, they may totally adore you and you may have the best team ever, but they're, they're not always going to feel the way you feel about a business. And so don't confuse yourself that you loaning the money somehow changes that dynamic. I think in the end of the day, people are, you know, people are people and they're working a job and they're trying to do the best they can at that job. And sometimes that job um, may not be a good fit for them. And many times when I see a loan go out to an employee or an employer is trying to do that and I hear about it, it's usually that the employee's now gone and they didn't have it in writing, you know, and now they're like, well, how do I get this money back? And and there's a whole discussion about deductions and what was in writing or not in writing and what was, and you're, it's a big headache. All I can say is it's usually not worth it. And it's not worth it for them to have to counsel, legal counsel or something on it usually at the end of the day. <laughs> but I give the same advice to my family. You know, when they have a family member who wants to borrow money, either give it to them or forget about it. <laughs> There you go. That's <laughs> really true. Yeah, so it's the same thing here. If you got in your heart and you're in the car payment and you want to help them, just help them. In Don's humble opinion, that's that's yeah. it. just help people out. Do it if you're going to do it. If that's what you want to do, yeah. Yeah, and if you're not going to do it, just don't do it. Don't feel bad about it. Hey, just cover it. I'm not going to buy and in the in-between, if you're going to do it and you're going to try to do it right, it's tricky. So don't like, uh, you know, I wouldn't wild west it on that one for sure. Have, have a piece of paper, have a promissory note, have the payments. Send receipt of the payment every paper. Do all the things you do if you want people to Yeah. I, I want to go back to that part that you were talking about with the um, employee payroll practices. And if, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, when to pay them. Um, and they have multiple, like, hey, I'm going to pay this person um, weekly, or I'm going to pay this person once a month. Um, do you see that there's more commonality now? Like, as everyone, um, from your perspective, are you seeing it just to be more common that that employers are wanting to pay weekly, or they what? It, what is the employee? What does the employees expect? Is there any sort yeah, of trend? Well, the the trend is is, is the lower the wage, the closer you get to. The assertion is that people at that level, at that low of wage, need the money weekly to pay the bills. Um, and then you get higher wage, you can do it, you know, for us, the easiest semi-monthly, just the 15th and the last day of the month, the rate is paid. Um, and payroll costs money. So every time you, you know, you've got a payroll processing firm, you know, it's a fixed fee plus a fee per check. So if I kind of do it twice a month, four times a month, Four times a month costs twice as much. So there's some savings, just you know, there's not a lot of money, but there's some savings just by doing it less frequently. I'm just more concerned about the errors when you start having okay, these people who are paid hourly get paid weekly, and these people are management, so they get paid semi monthly. 
the sales guy will, as soon as they collect the money, they want their money. So they need to be paid right away. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think She's like, no, you can just be paid semi-monthly like everybody else. <laughs> I want to right We try to pacify our salesmen. So let's talk about scaling a business when you're, as your business is getting bigger, you're adding employees on, um, you know, having one to, to five employees is different than having, um, you know, starting to get above 10, 15, you know, 500 employees. That's a totally different, I think, um, from my perspective, just on the employee employment law side and the business law side, but from your side, how does that look, especially when it comes to payroll? And certainly, I'm, I mean, I know you're going to tell me that every time you add a layer of complexity that in those kind of situations, it, it doesn't help. Yeah. So the main thing you would, you know, you're thinking about from an hourly perspective that our clients do that have 30, 40, 50 employees, you're going to have some kind of software for the dining sheets, clocking in. You're going to have something that's not a manual thing that has to be written by them and then typed by you and then put into the payroll system, you're going to have some kind of software that integrates either with ADP or QuickBooks. And I'd say that's the primary from a basic standpoint. From an employee standpoint, from the overall payroll, can you lose, and you can even lose my little business here. Um, you know, when there's seven with five or six, seven of us, I didn't do formal reviews and we gave people raises when we thought about it. And, you know, we all knew each other. We all knew it was fair. We get 40 people, someone's going to get left out in that system. Someone's going to get forgotten about. So you then, now you got to formalize your review for raises, formalize your bonus conversations, and then, of course, formalize your employee reviews, which you might not necessarily want to see raises. Uh, but putting formal steps in place so something just doesn't get lost. Uh, oh, and I had that actually happen to me once. I was with a couple of years to get a raise. I knew the guy just forgot. I went and told him after three years, and he gave me a retro wave back for the retro, retroactive raise back for the um, It just happens when you just have to make you. Um, so I would put structures in place to manage that. That makes sense? No, that makes sense. Yeah. the Well, the, not the you being not getting the raise for three years. That doesn't <laughs> sound good. But um, yeah, I think that would be a major issue. <laughs> If if you forget about it. and I, would, I most employees would not stick around on to be honest with you like they would be like I made a lot of money at the time okay so well maybe that made it made yeah. it okay but um the no I think the structures and and the issues with it I, I think if you go back to when I look at it and you're you're trying to get this business from where you're at where I'm first by hiring maybe you only need a small team in the type of business that you're in but. If you're looking to grow and grow a team, I think you should even from the first employee. If you and now you may not be, you may be pretty green or unsavvy on how to how it all works with the first one, but certainly in the first, um, you know, five to ten employees, developing that structure that's going to be something that's consistent because every like you you said every layer of complexity that you add, every different nuance. These people paid this different way, or this people, you know. Um, we have different commission structures or however, every time you add more people to that, you just add more places for you to make a mistake. And every time you make a mistake, you may not know about it. And those mistakes add up. And it's really at the point where, you know, usually you're getting audited or something else is happening that you realize those mistakes have occurred. You've now 
you know, fail to properly document the time and you're getting investigated by the Department of Labor. And they're like, well, we want to look at all your payroll records. That's where they want to go. They want to look at all those payroll records. And if they're a mess, they're, right here. they're all in here. <laughs> they're in my head. There you go. Yeah. I mean, um, I, it's funny that you say that because you're, they do, I do think going to an automated system for timekeeping makes sense. But I also think you need the right policies in place to be checking it. If you're just dialing it in 40 hours a week for certain people, you're going to make mistakes. Those people are going to work five minutes over, you know, um, or if saying that they're hourly and, or they're going to come into work a little early or they're going to leave and that those time records aren't going to be what exactly they are. So I almost, I love an old school, you know, you know, just because the department of labor loves it, where it's all handwritten and they've signed oh, it yeah, and they've committed to it. Like, because then, you know, the employees truly committed to whatever it is that time is, and you can wave it around and be like, this is when you work. Yeah. See, you wrote it down, but um, that's not the reality of where we're going. I mean, and with technology uh, um, using these apps and stuff. So having good policy saying, Hey, if your time's not right, then you need to be, you know, letting us know, or are you recording specifically don't just put in nine to five if you came in at 850 you know what i mean it really does matter all those five to ten minute things can add up over the course of two years yeah um it can make a difference and the department of labor you know they will just look at whether or not you did it right whether you accurately put it i always see too when i'm in those investigations where they don't put on the paycheck stubs or whatever the overtime separately properly like if it's oh, not delineated, that's the deal. <laughs> the investigator will just tell me, well, that's right there. That's an FLSA violation, you know, like failure to document to the employee. Here's the hourly time you worked and here's, or if they have several pay rates or something like that, like, Hey, this is the, the time period you worked for, you know, this, this was the overtime. This is your vacation pay or something to that effect, right. making sure that it's super clear to the employee, if the employee is looking at it, that they got that overtime and how much they got so that they can come to you and say there was a mistake made. Right. Yeah. So um, is there any right. other? Yeah, we jump to the next topic. It's almost not a payroll topic, but it is probably as I thought about it just now, actually. Uh, the biggest thing small guys do. So they come in and um, they only got three guys working for them. They're kind of broke, you know, they're making money, but the cash isn't coming in yet. It's coming in enough, but it's not coming in yet. So I'm going to treat them as contractors for the first couple of years. Then I'm going to switch them to employees. And, I was uh, going to, I was going to go there, Don. I was going to be like, we have to talk about this issue. It's when you're starting out, you're like, do I 1099 this person or do I make them an employee? And then they think, well, I'll just make them a 1099 employee, which I was like, that's not a thing. And don't say that to anybody. Like, <laughs> right. uh, so those people, I, just, I usually startle them with, I won't work with you. Oh, oh really? <laughs> I won't work with you if you do that. Because three years from now, when you, for whatever reason, either the guy's a jerk or the business is down, you let that little 1099 go. He's going to go file for unemployment. I don't care how good a friend he is. It's he's true. Broke. He's broke. He can't make his car payment. And he's going to go get it. And he wasn't employed. You're going to lose and you're going to be mad at me. So I'm not doing that. And then most of the time, some people walk out. Most some, people do, some people do walk out? Yeah, they just walk out. So well, I'm doing it that way. So, that's fine. There's plenty of people out there who do that for you. Um, but for me, the most people then step in and do it right. And 
it's a little bit of money, but if you just sort of like tell the other guy you're going to adjust the pay and make it all work, you can still make it work. In the long run, doesn't cost you anymore. Um, and you don't have this thing hanging over you. Like, what year do I switch them all to employees? And I hope nobody caught that I switched them because the job really didn't change. <laughs> well, <laughs> So I have a worst case scenario for you. Forget the the unemployment, which I agree that's hap that happens, right? They file for the unemployment. The TWC comes after you. I mean, what if they're you know they're drinking at a bar? They got let go from you. They're talking to their friends, and one of their friends is like, "You should call the Department of Labor because you know you you were probably an employee." Then they call the DOL, and that's a different kind of headache because the DOL will not just come in and look at that one person. Don't they're gonna that. they're gonna look at everybody, and um. If you misclassified everybody, then they're going to look back two years. And if you intentionally have evidence that they find that you put them as 1099s with knowing they should have been employees, they'll go back three years. And so it's not all they got to do is interview your CPA. <laughs> it's not, don't, don't, don't volunteer. Not, <laughs> I'm just saying there's no client privilege with us. So if you could walk in day one and say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do as 1099s and later when I can afford it, I'm going to switch employees. I get called in. I'm not gonna lie. No, I wouldn't. So, I wouldn't advise lying to the DOL. <laughs> yeah, so you're kind of stuck. So you just need to do it right. Um, it is. I think if you're trying to decide, that's a tricky question. And I always yeah, that's think fine. Yeah, there's, there's gray ones where it's gray. You know, they're half in, half out. You may be able to justify it, but a lot of times it's not gray. It's just clear. Um, so, yeah, I don't mind, you know, if we want to make it, make them contractors, make sure we put it in place that they have their own trucks, they have their own tools, you know, they have their own licenses. They're absolutely contractors. Absolutely. Yeah. That's and not a problem. Yeah, and that's tricky, and there's multiple tests about that. So it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. So I don't, you know, when you're trying to figure it out, it is, you have to be thoughtful about it. But you doing it upright um, at the beginning understanding the cost of an employee versus a contractor and planning for that is a better plan, I think, than going in and going, I'm just going to do 1099 because it's not going to cost as much. And and then then you do have something hanging over your head. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, it's hard to walk that back. And you really shouldn't ever start a business and have a practice where you go, I'm just going to intentionally break the law for a little bit on this small little part. And then we'll fix that again later when we have more money, because I can tell you right now, the department of labor and tax workforce commission and all IRS and all these other people, they don't care that you don't have any money. <laughs> they don't, they don't care how small you are, how tiny you are. People are like, well, they really get investigate me. I only have like this many employees or I only have this much revenue. They don't care. Like they, you know, at, they'll figure out how to squeeze, you know, blood out of turnip or whatever the situation is. If you've got some money, believe me, the IRS will figure out how to get it. So, um, or they'll just basically put you on this payment plan for the rest of your life. Your life. <laughs> so, I think this well, is great. Again, God. It's do it right. Again, it's always just do it right. Do it right. Take care of your people. I love, I always like that approach with you, Don, because I think it's a very uh, ethical approach and I, I think it's a good way to go uh, when you're trying to start a business. So, um, I, I, uh, I'd love for you to, um, to wrap up with me doing the legal skinny rundown. Do you want to do it? Uh, let's do it. Okay. Beach or mountains? Beach. Elvis or the Beatles? Elvis. Most influential book you've read? Um, 
Gypsy Smith. Oh, okay. I don't think I'm, what is that about? Gypsy Smith was an evangelist in the 1800s. Ah, okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, dead or alive, what famous person would you invite to dinner? Abraham Lincoln. Why? I would be curious to see how he thought that went. How he thought that went? Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Good. Good. That's interesting. Yeah, I would. Um, I could see that. He was a very interesting, interesting person. Um, just in his writings and stuff are interesting. Yeah. Um, he, I would call him curious too, like a bit curious. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've been reading. I've been reading lately some American essays uh, from the uh, 1800s till now, and those people fought a lot more than me. They so, did. Uh, the the Federalists a much deeper level. Than <laughs> Are you the tech, we've gotten more technology, but then we're less thoughtful. Is that what you're saying, Don? Sort of. You know, if you read that, well, not everybody maybe, uh, you know, loves to to read the the kind of stuff like the Federalist Papers. But yeah. if you go read that stuff, you really go, whoa, like, you know, they really, they took some time when they were trying to figure out what they were going to make, you know, the country look like. And um they definitely debated it and they definitely brought a lot of different ideas about it. And I think, I think all that stuff is super thoughtful and um, interesting. And if everyone went about their day, like trying to be as thoughtful as that, we, we certainly would have a little bit of a kinder, happier, kinder, happier <laughs> place. All right. So if someone wants to um, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm Peterson, 281-482-1240. Just give me a call. We answer the phone. Oh, I love that. Uh, do you actually answer the phone? Only if um, they don't know. <laughs> so you have people that do that. The people answer the phone, the good people. You're a good team. <laughs> yeah, I'm too, uh, too curt. Rude. You said you're too what? Too curt and rude. If you interrupt me, and I pick up the phone. <laughs> okay. Thanks for my accent. So calls Don CPA, um, the Peterson Farman. Don won't answer the phone. <laughs> I won't answer. But his, but his team will. Okay. All right. And um, finally, in one minute or less, what is the skinny on payroll practices for the busy business leader? What is the skinny? Be organized, document it well, be fair, and treat your people right. Thanks for joining me today, Don. Thank you. It was a blast. And that's Legal Skinny on Payroll Mistakes to Avoid. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. I would love for you to go to www.legalskinny.com forward slash review to learn the super simple way to leave me a review to tell me which topics and guests you like. I value your thoughts and your review helps me support more company leaders just like you to grow as a leader themselves and to grow successful teams. I also dropped the link in the show notes if that's easier for you. And while you're there, check out all the other resources I have for you as a company leader. And don't forget, our disclaimer to remember legal skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember, this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.